There's a thing called Parkinson's Law. It's a behavioral phenomenon. It's wired into every person. Basically, the essence of it is that we modify our demand for something based upon supply. For example, if you put one, I like cookies, you put one chocolate chip cookie in front of me, I'll eat one. You put 20 in front of me, I'll eat more than one. So the supply, the increasing supply dictates my consumption. But if there's none available, I won't eat any. Well, same thing with money. As more money uh, is presented to our business through revenue, the more we consume. So for many businesses, it's almost uncanny. Year in, year out, their income is increasing, but almost uncannily, this expenses increase at the exact same rate. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Mike Michalowicz. Today, we're talking about how to put profit first in your investments and your business. Mike has written a bunch of books on business and entrepreneurship. He's built and sold multiple companies, and he's very knowledgeable on this topic. This is an interesting concept, an interesting way to reimagine our business and investments, to reimagine our cash flows, and how to set things up differently so that we can guarantee that we turn our non-profitable or less profitable investments and businesses into more profitable investments and businesses. And take some time to think about this one. How can you, you're going you're gonna to get a system today to reimagine your money, reimagine your business, reimagine your investments. And this might just help you bring in more profit in any of your businesses. We have a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of real estate investors who listen to the show, and these lessons apply up and down to both of those topics. Thank you for tuning in once again. I'm your host, Taylor Bode. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy apartment complexes with passive investors and split the return. We got to keep our businesses and investments profitable. And today you're going to learn exactly how to do that. Without any further ado, here we go with Mike Michalowicz. Mike, thank you for joining us today. Oh, Taylor, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. I was just watching one of your lectures on YouTube. I think you have such a powerful story and a powerful message. But for those out there who don't know about you, don't know your experience, can you tell us a bit about your background and what you teach people in uh, in business and entrepreneurship? Yeah. So so I teach entrepreneurship. I'm an author. If you're watching the video, you can see uh, strategically positioned behind me, my marketing. It's it's the books I write. Um, I'm an entrepreneur my entire life, my entire adult life, and uh, really struggled with what I call entrepreneurial poverty. And I think many entrepreneurs do. It, what it is, is, you know, I started my businesses expecting financial freedom and personal freedom to do what I want, when I want, not to worry about bills. And that's the two things that were ripped away from me. I, I had less freedom in my life. I had to work longer and crazier hours. And I had no financial freedom. I, I couldn't pay bills. I, I was struggling, struggling for time, struggling for money. That's what I call entrepreneurial poverty, this gap. And um, while I did have some yeah, for me, pinnacle wins, selling businesses and stuff. It was really my third business. The all the struggles and misunderstandings I had about how business operates, I, I lost everything, and that became a, a great restart for me. I decided uh, to really investigate what makes a business habitually, consistently profitable. You know, what what makes a, a business that runs itself, and it's not dependent on the owner. That the idea of a business. What gets employees engaged in loving the experience? Like I started to investigate all these things. And this has become now a lifelong journey to investigate, 
to learn this stuff selfishly because I need it for my own businesses. I own four companies now, but I want to share it too. So I'm 12 years into being a full-time author. I've written Profit First is my most popular book, Clockwork about business efficiency, Pumpkin Plan about growth and other books. And I have hopefully about 20 more books in me. And that's the rest of my my life's journey, I believe. Wow, that's great. And and I was just, before we got on the call, I was watching a keynote presentation you gave. And we'll put a, a link in the show notes to that. But it's fantastic. Anybody, once you're done listening to this, go check that out. It's much longer yeah, that, than the time that, that we'll have today. Saw, what I love about that, so, you know, I, it's such a blessing now. I get invited, you know, pre-COVID to do some main stage events. You know, it could be thousands of people in the audience or hundreds. Well, that uh, one that went online, what I love about it is that was a 25, 30 person, like kind of, I don't know if they even show the audience, but it's kind of like a, almost like a university kind of classroom setup. And there's a certain intimacy that happens when it's a small group, when you can really see each person in their eye and you can hear them give you feedback live. So that presentation is a particular fun version. I think that was the profit first presentation. Yes. Yes. And you do talk about this idea of profit first and I really wanted to dive into that and the way you've uh, reimagined, if you will, entrepreneurial accounting or, you know, whatever you're calling it and, and why, what it means to put profit first. And, uh, you know, let's, let's get into that here about it. Yeah. So there is a, well, but going back to entrepreneurial poverty, there was a study released by us bank that identified small businesses. And this is true globally that 83% of small businesses, a small business is defined by a company that does $25 million in annual revenue or less. You know, that's pretty big small business. If you, you qualify for that, and I absolutely do, 83% of us are surviving check by check. Meaning in the study they identified, we don't have enough cash flow coming in right now to cover the bills for next week, let alone next month. So there's this constant panic to sell. There's this mentality to sell our way out of our situation. And it's it's ironic because we we built a business so that we didn't have to worry about money. But the biggest thing we worry about is making more money constantly. I said, why is that? If we If we intend to start a business where it feeds us money, but we're fueling it with money. What's wrong with us? And um, that's where I started my investigation. And then I had the aha moment. There's nothing wrong with us. The foundational formula we're told on how profit works is flawed. It's logically correct. It's, it's behaviorally wrong. And the foundational formula, everyone knows it, is that sales minus expenses equals profit. It's the foundation for gap accounting. But what that's telling us is that profit comes last. And behaviorally, when something comes last, we don't consider it until later. It's the perpetual manana syndrome. So businesses stay stuck in that top cycle. We need to sell and we need to, they don't say expenses, they say grow. We need to sell and grow, sell and grow. And we focus on that, hoping that profit one day will present itself and it never does. So what I do in Profit First is we flip the formula where it's sales minus profit equals expenses. And how it works in execution is every time revenue comes into our company, we take a predetermined percentage of that money and allocate it toward profit. We do this habitually. So profit is no longer an event like the old model, profit's a habit now. It's baked into every transaction. We're reverse engineering profit. You take your profit first, then you have to determine how or how much is left to run your business. You have to figure out how to work with what's left over. And that's actually the proper behavioral way of running a business. Interesting. So what strikes me about that is, first, you have to decide how much profit do I want to make. And the the ridiculous answer is, I want to make every penny that I bring 100%. in in gross and profit. But you know, how do you even start to determine, okay, I want to make this much profit without, I guess, shortchanging yourself or without getting too greedy because you need to have enough left over to cover all of those expenses too. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like going to a gym. If, you, if you're if you not exercising currently and you decide to go to the gym and 
you know, I want to bench 300 pounds or something like that. And you, you haven't worked out ever or in a long time, that's going to rip your shoulders out. Like that is the most damaging. It's dangerous. And you know, we're really blessed now we have, it's a pretty accurate estimate over 350,000 businesses that have successfully implemented profit first. And what we found is there's a lot have failed to do it because they went too fast, too quickly. They said, I want to have that 50% profit. And they went into it. And when they couldn't pay their bills, they said, the system's not working. They abandoned the system. The way to move into it is you start slow and let it grow. You go to that gym. The first day is really about stretching form, you know, working out with slow weights, you start building it. And then that resistance creates bigger muscle. So people that haven't been profitable, we say, start at 1%. Then let's go, you know, next month, maybe two or 3%. And as you start amplifying your profit, you start compressing the amount of money available for your OPEX. And at a certain point, you won't be able to pay your bills that you've been incurring, which means that if you want to increase profit, we need to control costs. That's obvious. Cut unnecessary stuff. And for most businesses, as we do this, we find that maybe 10, even 20% of their costs are superfluous, ego-oriented, not necessary. But the bigger opportunity is margin. How do we dictate more for what we sell? How do we position and market and package what we offer where people want to excitedly pay more for it? So profit first, we like to say it starts to speak to you. Once you start taking your profit first, the business speaks to you and says, this is what we can afford. This is what we can work with. There, there's a thing called Parkinson's law. It's a behavioral phenomenon. It's wired into every person. And basically the essence of it is that we modify our demand for something based upon supply. For example, if you put one, I like cookies, you put one chocolate chip cookie in front of me, I'll eat one. You put 20 in front of me, I'll eat more than one. So the supply, the increasing supply dictates my consumption. But if there's none available, I won't eat any. Well, same thing with money. As more money uh, is presented to our business through revenue, the more we consume. And so for many businesses, it's almost uncanny. Year in, year out, their income is increasing. But almost uncannily, this expenses increase at the exact same rate. And we're like, why is this? Is there some kind of mystical force determining how much money I have available? Well, that mystical force is Parkinson's law, our own behavior. So if we constrain supply, meaning as money comes in, we extract out profit and hide it away, we will adjust according to the decreased supply and innovation will kick in, thoughtful thinking will kick in, we'll find ways to operate our business off of less OPEX than all of our cash. And sure enough, profit will appear in our business. You know, we have so many case studies now, we see that these businesses consistently operate not just as effectively, but more effectively when they take their profit first, because they're much more selective on their spend. They're much more thoughtful. And there's a lot less pot shots like, oh, we have money. Let's try something out. Interesting. So, you know, in, in the real estate investing space, especially a lot of newer investors, the temptation might be to cut back on necessary repairs because I got to make that money today. So I'm yeah. going to not make that certain repair, but it's it's going to come back and get you at some point. So yeah. we need to avoid that temptation to be too cheap with certain things and really be creative and find the the right ways where we can we can pare back on our expenses and add amenities or things like that so that people will pay more and focus on you know maintaining and growing that that profit chunk. From you know, in, in the advanced rollouts of profit first, you know, we're just going with the most basic is you set up what's called a profit account. You do this at your bank. And the idea behind this is most businesses do what's called bank balance accounting. As a business owner, I log into my bank account and see if I have money. I'm not reading the income statement and the balance sheet and cash flow statement every day. Quite frankly, I don't even know how to read a cash flow statement effectively. So it's easier just to log in, see if I have money or not, and make determinations. So that's the normal pattern or behavior. But profit first is designed to work with that. Don't, you know, don't change who you are, channel who you are. So what we do with this system is we set up a profit account. 
But then you also set supplemental advanced accounts. You may set one up for repairs. Repairs are predictable. You don't know necessarily when they're going to happen, but you know they are going to happen. So it's it's predictable. So what we do is we start paying for expenses even before they happen. So maybe every month as revenue is coming in from rentals or however you're generating your money, a percentage of that, maybe 6%, goes into an account we call repairs. And it just keeps on fueling that account. So you're paying for an expense that's inevitable. You don't know when it's going to happen, but when it happens, then you have that cash reserve. And then we start making smart decisions. You see, when we don't allocate money to its intended use before using the money, then we move to just the most urgent thought in our mind. So we see a chunk of money and we say, oh, I want to get that new property. Oh, I want to do this. Whatever we prioritize in our head, we use that money for in mass. And then it's not available for these other things. So by allocating money to its intended use before we use it, then we have to work in within the confines of those accounts. Repair money is for repairs. Profit money is for distribution to the owner. That's profit. And you can have other things for maybe investing in new properties and so forth. So we set up these multiple accounts. It's, it's similar to the envelope system of the old world, just modernized for business. Okay. Okay. So what would you say is like the most common point of resistance that you run into with entrepreneurs, business owners, when explaining this to them, you're going to hit pushback, right? Yeah. So oh my, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> what's the biggest like pushback that you get? I can give you two because they kind of, they both are fighting for the number one position. The first one is I can do this on a spreadsheet. Uh, and why would I need to do this with bank accounts? And uh, the answer is, well, you already do it with spreadsheets. Every business does through your uh, accounting system because an accounting system is an advanced spreadsheet. And so you're, you have what's called general ledger, which is actually allocating all these things. How is that serving you? And most businesses come back and say, well, I'm not profitable. And how I define profit is not an accounting profit. This is an entrepreneur's defi- definition. Cold, hard cash available for you beyond, above and beyond a normalized salary for you. So you're taking your regular salary plus a big bonus check. That's what profit is. And very few businesses take that. So the first thing is I can do in, in a spreadsheet or accounting system. And the answer is no, we need to intercept your behavioral path. As an example, I wanted to start working out regularly and I've always wanted to, but I've been inconsistent. What I started to do was observe my own pattern. I wake up in the morning, I go to the bathroom, I make a cup of coffee. I'm like, I got to work out. Well, I got to also do other things, get distracted and not work out. Looking at that pattern, I noticed every time I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is walk into the bathroom. When I realized this about five years ago, I put my gym sneakers on the top of my toilet seat. And the only way I can now use the bathroom is by grabbing my gym shoes. I had it in my hands, I put my feet, and the momentum started. It's called intercepting the behavioral path. The behavioral path, as an entrepreneur, we're logging to our bank accounts, we must intercept that. We must put, must put the accounts there, so when you log in and look at how much money you have, it's pre-allocated and you know. The, the second most common form of resistance is, I haven't been profitable to this point, how can I take my profit first? I need to be profitable in order to take my profit first. That's not true. The reason we're not profitable right now is because Parkinson's law. As income expend, uh, expands, uh, we adjust accordingly. And, and also the reverse is true. Not all businesses are on a constant climb. We go up and down. When business is down, we start adjusting back down. So we work within the confines of what's available. So you don't need to be profitable first. Uh, if you've experienced months or years of increasing and changing income and your profit never appears, you're proving that you live by Parkinson's law. So we have to set these accounts up. We do have to take your profit first. When we move that away, you'll adjust accordingly. So you can't wait until you're profitable. You start by being profitable and then your business complies with that. Interesting. Okay. 
I love it. I love it. I think it's a fantastic idea. I love the idea of interrupting our behavioral patterns, whether it's in, in life or in business, the yeah. putting the gym shoes on, on the toilet seat. Well, you know, you, you did it. It's, it's oftentimes it it's little changes. It, yeah, it worked. my wife's not thrilled about it, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Well, I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Mike, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Number one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Yeah, so I can monetize it. It's absolutely starting my first company. Starting every single company, it's only gotten bigger. But think about it. Think about the the public stock you know, I, I own Ford. I own other public stock, and it's had some incremental increases. And in, you know, if you make five or ten percent return a year, that's amazing. My small businesses, I've made like ten thousand times return on my businesses. Hands down, the best investment: putting almost zero dollars down and then having a company that you can sell for a lot of money, which I've I've been blessed to experience. Hands down, the biggest return in my life: my own businesses. Nice, I love it. On the other side of that, we had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? <laughs> Can I say my own businesses? Right? So, <laughs> they've been so painful at times too, is, is making these bets and then they fail. But I, I think my worst investment has been ego-based investments. So thinking that, justifying that the purchase of the fancy car would would yield me something that that meant something about who I was and that that would influence people to want to do business with me or something like that. When I changed from ego-based purchases to joyful-based purchases, that was a game changer. Um, it, it literally can be the same item, the same thing, but when I do and say, oh, this just gives me joy, that whole perception changes what I expect from it. I was so disappointed when I was doing ego-based purchases and it didn't yield what I expected. The, those were hands down my worst investments. Ouch. And you talk more about that in the keynote presentation again in the show notes. So anybody <laughs> wanting to hear more about that, listen to that presentation. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? People speak through wallets, not words. They speak the truth, I should say, through wallets, not words. It's interesting. You can ask any of your friends or acquaintances or clients, what if I did so-and-so? What, what do you think about? And they consistently rally around you. And it's socially appropriate to say, that's a great idea. I would totally buy that. But then when it comes to, to, to selling that item, they back down. Like, I don't know. I, I love the idea then, but not now. People speak the truth through their wallets, their actions, their spend, not their words. And the reason we don't speak the truth through our words is it's socially appropriate. We don't want to cause conflict. I don't want to say you have a bad idea. I want to support you. I'm your friend. But ultimately, if people are not willing to open their wallets for your idea, it's a bad idea. So I've Whenever I have a new concept or something I want to release to the market, I go to strangers. People have no, have no association with me at all and say, do you want to buy this? I don't say, what do you think about this? I say, do you want to buy this? Are you willing to put a deposit down right now? And if they're like, no, I know I got a bad idea. When they're like, yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. That's something that has legs. Nice. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. If folks want to learn more, if they want to find you, get in touch, where can they find you? Best places, well, I'll give you two too. MikeMichalowitz.com, but no one can spell Michalowitz or even say it. So don't worry about that. Go to MikeMotorbike.com. That was my nickname in high school is Mike Motorbike. Ironically, never driven a motorcycle. But go to MikeMotorbike.com. 
Um, I have multiple books up there. You can get free chapters to experience it and see results. It's there. It's the impact chapters, not just the fluff. Um, plus I used to write for the wall street journal and I have my own podcast called Mike up in your business. It's all right there at MikeMotorbike.com. I love it. MikeMotorbike.com. That's perfect. Well, thanks once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thanks for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.